Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I probably have said that a few times, but the truth is that I have some amazing guests, and I'm so excited and truly honored to have the amazing, one of my favorite sex educators, Amy Lang. She is an OG in the sex education space, and I truly believe that if we educate our kids, we empower them from the start to understand sex ed and to be empowered with abuse prevention education and consent education, we are gonna raise a generation of empowered badass mofos. <laughs> I really get jazzed up about this because without appropriate sex education, we can't have actually effective abuse prevention education. So with that said, Amy Lang, MA, has been a sexual health educator for over 25 years. With her lively, engaging, and down-to-earth style, she helps parents become their kids' go-to birds and bees source. Amy's books, online solution centers, and podcasts show parents that talking about sexuality doesn't need to be totally uncomfortable and really can be fun. She also works with early childhood educators, providing childhood sexuality and sexual abuse prevention training. Amy is still married to her first husband, and they are getting the hang of parenting their recently launched man-child. She lives in Seattle, Washington, and you can learn more about Amy's work at birdsandbeesandkids.com. All of those links uh, for the podcast that you'll listen to today are going to be in the show notes. So I think you're going to love this episode. We dove right in and honestly, so can you, you can do this. I want to encourage you to please make sure that you are taking some kind of step in this direction, particularly if your child is over the age of five. Now, I know that that sounds really early, but you'll understand what we're talking about once you dive in. So without further ado, here's my interview with the amazing Amy Lang. So Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited. You have been in this space for a very long time. So much wisdom, experience, and knowledge. Uh, so thank you so much for being here and sharing that with us. At my total pleasure. And I love what you're doing. So we can have a mutual admiration society. <laughs> you know, it's so, so needed. So needed. So I, um, I'm just really happy to know you and know your work and it's just such an important thing and overlooked. So, well, um, and our work intersects. So, you know, constantly like it intersects so well, and I love your, um, value system as well. We've talked about that before, um, of how we all really just want to educate kids. Cause we, we know, I mean, it's evidence-based that when kids have more information and they have the right information, that they can make better choices, healthier choices, safer choices, right? And that's ultimately what we want for everyone. Um, and so we come from this from a place of really wanting to empower parents through 
shame-free, evidence-based sex ed. And that's what you're a master in. So I'm, that's why one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you today, uh, because I want to talk about something that uh, I think parents are freaked out to talk about with their kids, um, which is porn and, yep. edu- you know, educating them um, in a way that helps them to learn how to make the right decisions, right? And how to make uh, good choices around what they're consuming. Um, so I wanted to start, first of all, with asking you if you can share um a little bit of your own history, because I know I, I know your background on this. I would love to share how you came into this work um, quickly and just so that we can have some context around how that applies to parents, because I think parents think, oh, you're teaching this stuff, so you must be like awesome at it and you were always awesome at it. But I would love for you to share that because I think it gives people some you know, a way to relate to <laughs> us educators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I was a sexuality educator from the time I was 21 until I was about, how old was I? Oh, you know, it was like 16 years. It was my hobby. I loved it. And I was doing, you know, just traditional sex, you know, sexual health counseling. So birth control, HIV, STI, abortion counseling, totally loved it. Had assumed I was going to be a rock star when it came time for me to talk to my kids. And, um, I was not, uh, we have one kiddo, he's uh, 19, oh, he's 20 now. I keep saying he's 19, he's actually 20. So I'm having some issues um, about that, makes me feel old. Uh, so he was about five and I thought he was gonna tell me it felt good to touch his penis. And I was like, dear God, no, <laughs> like, I don't know what to say to you. And I was looking at him and I just took a breath and I was like, okay, calm down. And what I said to him, he's like, Hey mama. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's holding onto his penis. And I was like, uh, and he said, I can see the veins in the blood, you know, the veins in there where the blood goes. And I'm like, great, get in the bathtub. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this is not good. This is not good. So I started just doing some research for myself. Like, how do we talk to kids, young kids about this part of life? And while I was doing that, I was, had a brainwave, you know, part of my um, history is that I have a master's degree in applied behavioral science and my focus was in adult education. So I was like, oh, hey, I bet I could teach parents how to talk with their kids about the birds and the bees and how to become their kids go-to source for this information. And so I put together curriculum and uh, started teaching parents. I'm in Seattle and it, you know, it's been 15 years also makes me feel old. Um, And so it's been 15 years. And then the other part of my work is that I work with uh, early childhood educators and other folks who work with children. And I do uh, a more progressive form of sexual abuse prevention. And we we learn like what's healthy and typical and developmentally appropriate uh, behaviors in children and use that as a stepping off point for understanding like when a kiddo's like what, how, I can't make it black and white. I can only narrow the gray to get a better sense of like, okay, does this kid need help or is this typical behavior? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's really how I got important. rolling. Yeah, and I'd just like to say a couple other things about myself. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. And I also wanna acknowledge that I am a white cisgender woman. I'm married to a man. I'm American, I'm educated, I'm liberal, I'm secular. And I just wanna acknowledge that all of that is gonna show up in my work. I work really hard to keep a, be aware of that. Um, and I also just want to acknowledge that 
the world of sexuality is changing pretty rapidly. Language is changing and I'm really working to use gender inclusive language. So, um, and I'm, you know, I'm a work in progress just like everybody else, but I just wanna, um, I just like to say that so people have more, more of a sense of who I am and where I'm coming Some from. Context, so. yeah, context. Yeah. I, I appreciate that so much because I, I think first of all, that that's really brave because I am also in the space of constantly learning and educating myself around so many of these issues and topics and using the right pronouns and being inclusive and understanding my privilege and all those pieces, which I think is what is how we're doing the work, right? And the fact that we can own it and acknowledge it and say, I'm, I'm working towards being better and doing better. I'm in the same space and I'm a Latinx immigrant, you know, uh, you know, cisgender woman also, but um, we have to normalize those pieces. So I, I really do appreciate that. So thank you for sharing that. Well, one of the things, you know, you mentioned was uh, understanding those behaviors uh, in children. So you know what's normal, what's not normal, um, and then move forward from there. And I think for a lot of parents, as their kids get older, um, they realize that, you know, much like you, oh my goodness, I have to teach my kids about this and some people want to put their heads in the sand and say i'll deal with that when they get older when we have to have the talk um and other parents are realizing if i don't do this now if i don't start then what's going to happen when i get to that point it's going to be obviously that much harder and i'm going to have to cover a lot more because you know so i think it's great that that I, there is a movement towards parents wanting to teach their kids about sort of the body safety aspects right like private parts, right, using the right, correct mm -hmm. terms. Um, but then they get to this piece of like, how do I talk to my kids about sex? If, if everyone's telling me I need to talk about porn, obviously I have to kind of lay the groundwork before I get to that conversation. Right. And, mm -hmm. and then they, they want to also um, demonize porn. And I understand the perspective on that. Um, but what they don't realize is that if you haven't educated them about the foundations first, then it can be really confusing message and actually make it almost more alluring to go look at what it is that your parents are saying, don't look at. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. I, I certainly remember growing up in a very sex negative home where we didn't talk about sex and it was demonized in like sex is sinful, don't think about it. Uh, you're not supposed to enjoy it anyway when you get married, it's, it's really for men to, you know, like it was just all these really mm -hmm. sex negative messages and it didn't like make me not want to be curious. I mean, the curiosity right. is going to be there. Right. Um, right. It just made me secretive about how I tried to access some kind of information. So I didn't feel like the fool in front of my friends. And I also, you know, just had some clue. Right. Um, so what do you say to parents who are, are thinking, you know, I just have to tell them porn is bad. Don't look at it. And they, they think they can wait until a certain point. Like what age do you think it's important to start the conversation around about sex, uh, sex education? Like, can you lay out some kind of basics and then move into like when we should be talking about porn, if at all? Yes, absolutely. So um, essentially what you said, like it, this is, so first thing, this is an absolute part of life. Your children will see porn absolutely 100%. So take it in. Uh, I'm not making this up. Studies, science, um, and right. the average age of exposure right now is nine. So that is young. Um, so I just want you to hold that 
and then keep breathing. <laughs> so we're gonna, yep. I'm just gonna put that there. So what that means, and this is just it, porn or not, like I've been saying this since I started my company in 2007, we need to start talking with kids, like get the usual way babies are made, penis and vagina out of the way by the time they're about five. And then, um, and then you already said like, they should already know the correct names for their private body parts. That's from birth. Um, no shame about that. Right. Cause you know, like the more, if they use correct names for private body parts, they're safer from abuse because those creepsters look for kids who are clueless. So sex education is, pre is prevention, right. In terms of that stuff. So, um, people freak out when they hear five. And I think that the thing we need to kind of reframe is that they are so what happens for us is like, we bring our adult perspective into it. So we look at our five-year-old and you're like, dear God, right? You can't know about that because we know about sex, right? We've had it. We like, some folks have your experience of like, it's all bad. You know, we have our assault, you know, our, that background um, that we, it comes to the table, our lack of knowledge, our lack of example and our basic like sex kind of negativity and worry, right? So you look at your five-year-old, your five-year-old does not need to know any of that. You know, they are an empty vessel. They're open, they're curious. They, um, they don't have any judgment. So if you say like, this is how butter's made and this is how a baby's made, it's like the same value to them. Like we know the baby making thing is a little deeper. Um, <laughs> so when you take care of that conversation, you open the door at a young age, it's easier on you. Because mm -hmm. they're not going to notice your like sweaty upper lip and two glasses of wine, <laughs> like while you're reading a book, you know, like your 12 year old or 10 year old be like, what is wrong with you, sister, right? That is not going to happen with a five-year-old. They're not tapped into your anxiety in the same way. So um, that's the first thing. It's easier on you when you start sooner. And, you know, my goal for Milo was that he always know, like, I didn't want him to have a moment. Um, and so like, and then when you start earlier, it becomes a natural part of your family conversation. So mm -hmm. when you get to the porn business, it's already, they understand what sexuality is. They understand that it is, you know, it's a cool part of life. It's feels good. It's something people agree to do. You don't ever have to do it. Like you're having these conversations about it's for adults. It's for later in life. Um, and you're talking about, you know, healthy relationship and that sort of thing. And, you know, I think about the, um, like the baby making and puberty and all that stuff is like the nuts and bolts because that's science, yeah. right? That's science, it's biology. And then there's emotional, social, relational pieces that are piled into that. Um, so starting at five, again, it's, it's protective. And, you know, like I said, like they don't know like there's anything yucky, bad, embarrassing, shameful. They don't know there's anything amazing, fun, fabulous. So you get to like give them that gift. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, by the time they, I'm just going to give you like the, like the trajectory and then we'll talk about the porn. So by the time they're nine, you definitely need to be having the puberty conversations. Girls start puberty as young as eight. Um, they need to know all of that, like before it hits. So they're ready. Yeah. Um, and then, um, the conversation, like you should have all the nuts and boltsy stuff done by the time they're 10. So they should know about periods, birth control, pregnancy, birth, different kinds of families, different genders, different sexual, um, attractions and identities. Like they should know all of that. And again, we're like piling on, right. Mm -hmm. This is a process. And then by the time they get to be in by basically middle school, they should know the basics of everything. And once they're 12, 13, no screening, you should just talk to them about everything because they are going to be hearing about it from their peers and their peers are getting a lot of information from porn 
Teenagers say their number one sex educator is porn. They think mm-hmm. they know how to do sex from watching porn. No. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, so if you're sexuality educating and relationship educating all along the way, then when they're exposed, they have this basic information from you. So they know, oh, this is healthy sexuality. This is what sexuality is supposed to look like. And it contextualizes what they see when they see porn. Right. I'm going to say one more thing. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, hell, <laughs> right, I've not done this. My kid is going to like go down the rabbit hole and like all that stuff. It's never too late to start the conversations. And um, I'll send you some book recommendations and I'm sure you have them as well. So folks can kind of look into this a little bit more, but if you have a kid who's like nine, 10, 11, you haven't started the conversation, you need to. And what I highly recommend is you just say, Hey, I am really sorry. We should have been talking about this sooner. You're old enough. Now we're going to go for it. Yeah. And then books are the easiest entree in, Um, And there's some really good kid safe websites with information as well. So you just got to kick the door open and then open your mouth. It is not your kid's job. This is not their job. It's not their job to ask you questions. They don't know what to ask. They don't know how to ask, you know, every kid is different. So you need to set yourself up as the go-to and the way you do that is by opening your mouth and saying the words or texting, like texting is cool. Like anything, writing notes back and forth anything. Um, So I just want to set the stage. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform for survivor parents to learn how to keep their kids safe from abuse. Did you know that children of survivor parents have a five times higher chance of being abused because survivor parents don't know or learn the tools needed to prevent abuse? They tend to overprotect instead of empower and prepare. You can change the statistics by becoming an educated parent. Get started by downloading my free guide, Seven Ways to Teach Your Kids About Body Safety, Boundaries, and Consent by going to aboutconsent.com forward slash guide. The link will be in the show notes to get your free copy today. Now let's get back to the show. First of all, agree with everything that you're saying, of course. Um, You know, as I mentioned, we, we have the same idea and understanding of why and how this should happen. And I think one of the things that I've heard a lot from parents is that they are afraid that if they do talk about things that their kid hasn't brought up, that their kids, you know, and I've even heard parents say, I've tried to, and then my kid's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that because they haven't done that before. What do you recommend to parents who have that experience and want to keep opening the door, but their kid is almost like freaked out because they've never had that conversation before. So again, apologizing and then acknowledging and just saying, look, I would, I would have felt exactly the same way. Like this stuff is gross to you because that's because you're a kid, but you really need to know. I didn't know this stuff and it was really hard on me. And, you know, my friends knew things, it was confusing and I don't want you to have that experience. And then you use tactics like bribing, I'm sorry, rewarding, um, you use your timer is like two minutes. So just need two minutes of your time. Um, other tactics are like, you can be straight up, like, look, I got to talk to you about this thing. We can do it now, or we can do it later. They always say later. And then you say within 48, you say, okay, it's later. And then pillow over the head is fine. Don't look them in the eye, like do it while you're doing something else. And again, acknowledge, like I get it. And you have to know this. Yeah. You have to know this. This is like, this is like, 
it's required. Like you don't get out of this, like, like many other things you don't get out of doing math, right. Right. Which is not as important to sexuality, but Hey, (laughs) what do I know? (laughs) That calculus class is not with you lifelong. Your sexuality and relationships are lifelong. So this is required. Right. And as adults, we know, like I didn't get what I needed. I made mistakes. Like I did things that I don't want my kiddo to experience or, you know, really any kid. And I know your listeners are in that boat for sure. So, um, yeah. So you just got to push back again. It's not their job. Right. 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 It's not not their job. Yeah. So just suffer together. (laughs) I like that. Just suffer together. And it it gets easier. You know, I want to put that in there too, is that I realized growing up, I didn't have that. So I thought because I was educating myself, it would be easier. And it was at times uncomfortable until it finally stopped being uncomfortable because I practiced it enough. It's just like anything else. You might not be good in the beginning, but it gets easier with time, the more you do it. And what's amazing is that kids will then realize, oh, my parents actually kind of cool. Like they're willing to talk about this stuff. And it, it actually can be a really bonding experience to know that, oh, this is a safe person that I can actually come to is not going to shame me. I can ask them. So I, when I go back to school and I overhear someone having a conversation about something, I'm not going to be clueless and right. at least have some information and, and, and a safe place to ask questions. So because certainly do not want your kids to go into Google and start typing in what they're hearing. Um, which is typically how a lot of times that happens that they get introduced to porn. Right. So, um, I wanted to let you continue. Cause I know that you were going to dive into yeah. like, how do we have this conversation about that? And, and just as a, a side note for parents listening, this is what porn literacy is about. And I know that a lot of parents are like, you know, let's shut down the porn sites and let's, you know, just like, you know, they're going at it with like a pitch, like pitchforks. Right. Mm -hmm. But what we need to understand is that culturally porn has existed through centuries. It's not going to go away. And what we need to realize in my perspective, and this is just my perspective, is that it is actually a reflection of our values in the world uh, around sexuality is being reflected in pornography. So what we are reflecting currently is this really misogynistic rape culture that we're trying to dismantle by educating and creating awareness and empowering kids, right? So just to frame it from there, because I don't think, you know, saying like, let's shut down all the porn sites, they're just going to go underground. They're just going to- It's never going to happen. Yeah. It's never going to happen. It's here to stay. Like- it's yeah. never going to happen. That's never going to happen. Um, so yeah, so it's always been around. We're always going to be interested in visual sexual stimulation. It's just who we are, how we are, how we're wired for whatever reasons, like, you know, culturally, evolutionarily, like, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, when you start these conversations with your kids and, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't have to talk like this. I did not. It was very rare that a child was exposed. Um, and now, right now, because everybody's online, all the time, it's very frequent. Um, so when you have those initial conversations with your little ones, like under seven, you can say, Hey, and sometimes, you know, people, there are videos of naked people on the internet, you know, that's adult stuff. It's not okay or safe for you to look at that. So please let me know you won't be in trouble. So what we're looking at is like a combination of prevention and preparation, right? We want prevent, we don't want them to see it, but they're gonna see it. So we need to prepare them. Right. So you're planting that seed. There's unsafe stuff on the interwebs, right? And you can come to me if you see something. 
and some skills around turn off the device, come find me. You know, if I'm not around, you can tell safe adult, safe adult who need to be ready to not freak out right? and not shame and not go berserk because the kid saw porn. Most oftentimes parents will blame the child and kids see porn. Like I have a couple that came in to see me because their seven-year-old Googled horses, horses, <laughs> right. And got to porn. They left. And I was like, how the hell do you get to horses? <laughs> how do you get to porn from horses? So <laughs> go ahead, Google yeah. horses, go to images, follow your nose. It, take, it took me, I just sent an email out with this and it took me four or five clicks and I was in porn. Wow. Yeah. So it happens accidentally. Another mom told me that her um, daughter, uh, what did they, uh, kissing, 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 kissing with tongues, uh, sacks, S-A-X, because they didn't know how to spell it. Um, so it happens accidentally most of the time. And most kids don't go down the rabbit hole of getting, uh, getting into overuse, right? That is not the most common thing. Um, it can happen. Uh, it's easy because it's stimulating, even like to a young child, there's stuff going on in our bodies. It's stimulating, it's confusing. So there's this push pull towards it as they get into adolescence and puberty, there's more of a pull still have that push. Cause it doesn't feel good. Cause it's grown up stuff. And in Amy's mind, gross. Um, like I still haven't recovered from my last little trip to Pornlandia. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not good with it. Um, so, you know, like if we treat it, you know, I love what you're saying. Like you and I are like-minded in that we can't, it's, it's a bad thing for kids, but it's an adult thing and adults can make decisions about using porn. Right. Um, it's problematic for all of the reasons you said. Right. And so when, so when your kids are eight or nine, you can say, Hey, videos of people having sex, it's called pornography. Absolutely not for kids. It can really mess with your heart and your mind and your body. You know, again, it's adult stuff. It's like coffee and alcohol and we, marijuana. We used to say cigarettes. Now we get to say pot. Um, I'm in Washington, by the way, <laughs> where it's legal. Um, yeah. Close to Canada. Close yeah. to Um, so, you know, reframing that it is, it exists, it's bad in and of itself. And also, you know, kids need to understand like what it is, how to manage it. Um, and again, just like the sex talk, you know, we can't expect them to ask us questions. We also cannot expect them to not Google stuff. I would have been all over the Googling. Like I would have Googled all the things, you know, as it was in 53, you know, we had finding Audrey Shapiro's dad's penthouse under the, under the mattress. Like we had that, you know, you know, later on, we got into like VHS tapes and HBO where you couldn't Mm -hmm. quite see. And so like the access, it took work now it takes no work. So you just need to assume your kids are going to be exposed and they're going to be exposed on your time. Yeah. For sure. Well, and, and even if they're, you know, at school, kids are bringing phones and then, you know, at lunchtime they're they, you just, people say, you know, I'm just going to make sure my kid's not online or when they're online, I'm there. And, you know, you're not with your child 24 seven. And if you are, that's not healthy. And also, uh, you know, th- why not prepare them? Like that has always been what I, you know, tell parents, if you're not educating your kids now, even if they're home with you all the time, and you're not sending them off to daycare or their home, you know, distance learning, wouldn't you want to like get ahead of the curve and 
prepare them with skills that when they do go off to kindergarten or school or whatever, they have some skills, right? Mm -hmm. They know exit strategies. They know, you know, like it just, to me, it's the same thing. If, even if they're not yet online or if they are, you know, going to a cousin's house, like it, it can happen in so many different ways that they get exposed to it. And if they do, and they have shame because they don't know what it is, or they have heard you talk about it negatively, then they're afraid of telling you about it. And they're still curious, guess what's going to happen, right? Like they may just keep going to seek it out some more just out of sheer curiosity, not necessarily because they like what they see, but just because it's something different that they've, they've never seen before. And what's, what is, actually dangerous is that they could see stuff that's violent that could actually be really um, confusing. And, you know, I've heard where kids have come across content that is, uh, you know, non-consent, like very visibly Mm -hmm. non-consensual. And they are so conflicted because on one end, they are stimulated by it. And on the other end, they're seeing something where someone's getting hurt and they're confused about why they are feeling stimulated by seeing somebody getting hurt. And that creates shame onto itself, which they would never want to tell a parent about. And then they go down this, you know, spiral yep. of, you know, yep. so that's where, you know, of course it can be unhealthy and dangerous and all, all the other things. I mean, they then they see that as, is this what it is? Like, is this how you, you know, interact with someone? And if that's how you interact with someone, then that means that that person likes it this way, you know, it can go down so many wrong right. avenues, right? Yes, so yes definitely. Believe definitely. that educating education. And again, as hard as it may feel, it still is going to be so much more of a relief after you've had the talk than to hold on to this like fear of, oh, what if it happens? And then if it does happen, your child's not going to you. Right. 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 So setting that, like those conversations, it's not one, those conversations happen. Your kid sees that you're open to talking about it. They see that you're able to pretend to be calm about it right? This is practice. This is practice. Um, and there's so, it's so conflicting. I mean, I, like you said, like they get this idea in their head, like this is real. I said this, it's real sex. It's not sex. You need to say it's fake. It's like, like, I mean, like, it's like cartoons. It's like superheroes are fake. People do not look like that. Their bodies don't look like that. They don't have sex like that. Typically, you know, it starts in the middle like real sex, good sex starts with like handholding, right? Like it's a process of, right. and then I know you talk about consent all the time, but like that idea of it's a process. And again, like really pushing on for me, like porn is not for kids. It is not yeah. for kids. It is not for kids. It can cause problems. Right. And, you know, like having these conversations regularly checking in and saying like, Hey, any of your friends seen anything creepy online lately? You know, you won't be in trouble. I'm just curious, like what's out there and see what they say. Like those global questions, especially with kids who are, you know, adolescents, they're more likely to respond to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, keeping that door open. So the thing that, um, is making me personally completely um, effing crazy is that people think that saying this isn't safe, uh, you know, don't do that. Uh, Hey, it's not okay to like, look up these terms. Um, and you know, I trust you, my kid's smart. They would never, Mm -hmm. I said, it's not okay. Or, um, oh, they're not there yet. Like in terms of curiosity. And so there's a whole lot of that going on. And the reality is that you, 
you, it is up to you to protect your kids online. And so you must, must required like a seatbelt. You'd never put your kid in the car without a seatbelt ever, never, ever, ever. And you're putting them out on the interwebs. It's called the World Wide web worldwide. You can go anywhere. It's not just porn. You can learn how to kill yourself, for example, right? Like who needs that? Techniques and cutting. You can find all this awful shit. So you have to have monitoring and parental controls. Yeah. And this is required. Like, I don't know, like, (laughs) I can't make it more clear. There's lots of products out there um, and they're really easy to install and use. They need to go on every single device your child has access to the internet on. Um, I recommend that they only have two or three devices. And um, when I do, when I teach my class on online safety, I have people make a list. So we get 12, on average, 12 devices that a kid could access the internet on. And then obviously everywhere they can get online everywhere. So, um, so people don't know what the difference is. So monitoring is observing. So you, with monitoring, you can see every place they're going. Yeah. All, every website they go to, you can see that parental controls locks down the search terms. It is not foolproof. The people who had the horse incident, they have monitoring. That's how they found out and parental controls. And she still managed to get to porn. Um, so I realize that people have financial issues, but there are products in that you can find that are low cost. Um, your schools, they have stuff in place, but it falls off. So you need to check frequently. Kids are toggling back and forth and not to terrify y'all, but I had a couple contact me because their nine-year-old he was, he, he was online and his grades kind of went down and then he got it back together and then something uh, happened and the mom hopped on and it turned out that they, she, he was logged into her Chrome account, her Google account. He could go anywhere online and he was toggling back and forth between porn and school. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so kids are doing that. So yeah. it's like, like, this all sucks, right? Like this all sucks. Like COVID has made this so much worse. So Kids you know, are tech savvy. Oh my God. Like that's the thing, you know, crazy town, Yeah, crazy town. So y- you will feel better. You will feel better if you don't have this niggling concern, right? You don't have a niggling concern about what's happening. And, you know, I just want to give you a word of caution or a couple ideas. So if you have older kids, like 10 plusers, I would put it on and not tell them and see what they're doing. This is basically spying, but it's not that you, you it's your right as a parent, because they're not going to tell you, oh, yes, looked at porn today, two guys and a gal and a horse, just a little confused, like that's not going to happen. So you need to spy on them and see what's happening. And then once you know what's going on, then you can kindly go to your kiddo and say, hey, you know, we did this, um, we needed to make sure you were safe online. And so, you know, here's the deal. We've seen that you've been here, here and here. We are so sorry. It's our fault. We should have done this sooner. So here are the new rules, right? Uh, Right. Children should not be punished. Absolutely not be punished for any porn exposure unless they are having a compulsion and an overuse. And even then all that tells you is that they need help. Yeah. They should not be punished. So if you're shaming and yelling and belittling your child because they cannot stop trying to Google up sex or whatever, that is, they need help. That's, yeah. that's all that tells us they need help. And when a person needs help, the last thing that is helpful is to yell, shame, punish, right? Like Absolutely. I know that when I make mistakes and somebody yells at me and then puts me in the timeout corner, it's not good for me. 
Yeah. I lose trust and I don't learn anything. So yeah, you just said, you just created actually a lot more trauma mm-hmm. because that kid that actually can feel like I'm no longer lovable in some way, shape or form because of this behavior. And I can't go to my parents about it. Right. And, and that's, uh, that was one of the things that I think a lot of parents don't realize how that can actually be really um, dangerous for them in the long term of how that can actually make them much more vulnerable to predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. As that's what predators are looking for, those gaps to fill. What is your parent doing that I can make you feel better about so that I can be your ally? And, you know, especially if it's, you know, related to that kind of stuff. So absolutely agree with you. I think it's so important that we don't shame our kids for their curiosities and realize that if they are having an issue with it, that it's a, it's a call to help, right? Yes. To, I, yeah. I love that you said that. So yeah, it is, it absolutely. is always a call to help. It is always a call to help. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that everything you said, I absolutely agree with. And I want to just wrap it up by asking you, how can people, how can parents learn more? I know that you have uh, a program that talks about this and I mean, it, it really comes down to porn literacy. So if parents need help in this, and I'm sure that they do, how can they connect with you? So my website, birdsandbeesandkids.com is chock full of how to get the sex talk party started. Have a, um, and it, that's the place that I would go to like get your feet wet. Um, I also have a solution center where I have, it's basically an online library that's always accessible and there are webinars on how to get yourself ready to have the conversation. There's a webinar called Poison Porn, Your Kids in Porn, where we dig deeply into this issue with my colleague, Jill Langford, age by age stuff. So you know what's appropriate developmentally um, and then some curated sections by age. So books and videos that are safe for your kids to like read and, and videos for them to watch. And, you know, like you said at the beginning, the foundational piece of porn literacy is being literate when it comes to sexuality, love and relationships. Like you have to do that. You have to do that in order to help them navigate. Because if they don't know what's healthy and they consume that, it's like you said, it's confusing. It's going to maybe mess them up and you'll feel better. Like, I love what you said about the practicing, right? And you'll feel better and they'll feel better. And when you feel better, you do better. Yeah, You do better. So yeah, Yeah. I would say start with my website and the solution center are good, two good places to help, um, help you get this party started and then to feel more comfortable talking about the porns. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you. I will definitely add that, of course, to the show notes. So anyone who's listening, head there to uh, connect. And I think that, uh, you know, you've been doing this for so long. I have loved learning from you. I'm one of your students. So thank you for all that you do and for helping parents with these conversations that are needed now more than ever. So listeners, if you found value in this, please tag us on Instagram, screen share this and tag us. Let us know what your takeaways were and what action are you going to take? As you know, I'm all about action. So let us know, what are you going to start? Is it going to be to sign up for Amy's program? Is it to just start educating yourself and learning more? Let us know so that we can, you know, celebrate you and continue to uh, share this with others so that they are also getting empowered. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Amy, thank you for being here. My total pleasure. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. 
I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.